On this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Eichard and Lehman, presented by Metro Ford of OKC, the new head coach of the South Carolina Gamecocks, Shane Beamer, joins us for an interview. We talked to Shane about his time at OU, but we really dive into what it's like to become a head coach for the first time with him. I mean, we really dive in. The, the interview is like 46 minutes long. We talk some OU football by discussing this question. What is the biggest offseason concern for the Sooners? We finish up by giving you our winners and losers of the weekend. Please download and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars, and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right. I'm man Michael Hosty. We'll kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Monday, February 22nd, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by Metro Ford of OKC. Metro Ford of OKC's inventory is the best of the best. In fact, they own more Black Widows and more 2021 F-150s than anybody else. They're the only Roush and Rocky Ridge dealer in the state. You can find a ride in Metro Ford of OKC that you can't find anywhere else in Oklahoma. Just like their selection of vehicles is unmatched, so is their customer service. The Metro Ford of OKC Difference Program is included with the purchase of every new and pre-owned vehicle. It includes free oil changes for life, lifetime window tint, lifetime nitrogen fill for your tires, complimentary wheel locks, interior fabric protection, complimentary service loaners, a complimentary shuttle with service, and a complimentary multi-point inspection. Come feel the performance when you test drive a Roush or Raptor and come see why the difference is real at Metro Ford of OKC. Visit MetroFordOfOKC.com for more information or go to the dealership and tell them that we sent you. Now we're recording this on Sunday night. Just a reminder, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, to leave us a five-star review and comment with what guests you would like us to have on the podcast. Big, long, massive interview with our boy Shane Beamer on this one Ted no that was great it was a lot of fun he was fantastic man um a busy man but for him to be able to slide in with us for an interview that was awesome speaking of busy men uh before we get to the football stuff did I see that the layman family added a another four-legged member to the family did I did I see that correctly on on social media you did, and if you listen closely, you can probably hear him going crazy in the background. There's a lot of uh, yelping going on. I don't know what's happening out there. Some new sound effects for the podcast. Excellent. Yeah, so how somehow, is it? well, here's what you got to love. Somehow my wife has turned me saying no dogs at all in our house into two dogs now in our house um and you know what you just you roll with the punches i love it though listen my my son is head over heels in love 
It's a little Westy. We had a Westy before and, um, it's going to be, obviously it's going to be a, a rough couple months here to get things started. Our other dog is not sure how to feel right now. So, uh, yeah, man, it's, it's all good. And the dog you had was rather energetic, rather hyper. The times that I'd come over, he was, he was a bit of a handful solo. He's psychotic. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, that's part of the spin my wife was trying to put on this thing is, hey, if we get another dog, you know, they'll wear each other out and, you know, see yet to be seen, Gabe, yet to be seen. It went down the exact opposite at, <laughs> at the Eichert household. Our, our first dog, Lonnie, is about as chill as a dog can be, like uh. unbelievably chill. And my wife was like, well... Lonnie needs a friend to make her play around. And to my wife's credit, it kind of went exactly like she said it was going to go. Once we got McKenna, like they started playing and stuff. And it's been, it's been a beautiful partnership, but they're also small and you know, they don't really get in the way, but congratulations. I think. Dad. Yeah. Hey, thank you. Yes. We're happy. Woo. <laughs> oh. All right. Okay. We'll get to the OU stuff. Uh, let's start here. Ted. Joe John Finley got his first commit from a kid named Jason Llewellyn, who is a class of 2022 tight end out of Alito, Texas. 6'5", 240 pounds already. Committed to OU over Texas, Michigan, Auburn, and many other schools. Went and watched everything I could find on him. His tape definitely shows that he's got athleticism when it comes to running routes, but he does seem like a kid that is going to be more of an all-around tight end. I know that's kind of a lost yeah. position in college football for some people, but he looks like he's actually going to be a tight end. Like He'll catch the ball, but he will also put his hand on the ground and block someone. And believe it or not, there is still a place for players like that in college football, and they can add some serious value, and it, it can make – it can lead to some tough matchups, especially personnel groupings, what defenses are going to do when a guy can get in there and block really well, but also catch passes. So seems like an exciting commit for OU. Yeah. And I, you know, honestly, I think that's, that's one of the reasons I like uh, Stogner so much is because I think he can do exactly that big body can be physical. Now Stogner's still young and it, not for everyone, but for most guys, it takes a little while to figure out, you know, what it's like to actually block those big defensive ends and edge guys and be a big physical part of the running game. But I think Stogner's developed well there. So, yeah, I mean, I think that body type is great. You know, it's it's always best to have that versatility really at any position, but, you know, specifically at tight end. And you pointed to it. It's all about personnel groupings. If you go with a two tight end formation and you don't know if it's going to be a, a split four wide set or a power running formation as a defensive coordinator, you just don't know how to call things. And you end up being way more conservative because of that. And usually it helps you either in the running game or the passing game offensively. And you can build off of that. So the more versatility you get off of offensive players, the better. We talk about it with the fullbacks all the time. We talk about it with running backs that can both run between the tackles and 
catch the ball out of the backfield. So, yeah, tight end, uh, there's no doubt about it. The guys that are versatile could do everything, could put their hand down a block. That's what you're going for. I mean, we saw it in the in the Super Bowl with a guy like Gronkowski, who that's what he's known for is being able to be physical in the running game but still make you pay big time in the passing game. Yeah, and I think Joe John Finley will – he will develop that portion of Stogner's game. Uh, I know that we've talked about that quite a bit, but he, he's going to make him into a better blocker. And I, I'm trying to think of – and Mark Andrews was an unbelievable pass-catching tight end, right? Yeah. But they didn't ask him to do a lot of blocking. I, they I'm made a point make, to do it later in his career just kind of to show – Showcase it a little bit. That he can do this, yeah. And then I, I was going back – and obviously the one year that Blake Bell played at tight end, but then when you talk about an all-around tight end that mixed it up blocking and was a threat vertically down the field, what's the last guy? Maybe Jermaine Gresham? I mean, I know that's an extreme example, but it may have been that long. I mean, it's a rare skill set. It is. I mean, you just typically don't have – you either have the size to block – or the speed to be a vertical threat, rarely do you have a guy that could do both. When you have a guy that can do both, ends up playing in the NFL and usually gets drafted pretty quickly. And, you know, there's not very many guys on the planet like that. That's why the few, even in the NFL, there's not a lot of guys that can do that. So whenever you do have them, they're such a huge asset. That's why they bring in the big bucks at the, at the next level. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see how this kid turns out being Jason Llewellyn. I like the name. I like it's the tight name. End name. Definitely tight end name for sure. For sure. But we'll see how he develops. Oh, well, I guess he needs to get there first. 2022. Gosh, look at us recruiting yeah. guys. Look at us. Hey, but that's how it goes though, man. It's, it's interesting. I think the bigger story from this, maybe that we got a guy out of Alito, Texas, and that's been a pipeline for a the long Texas time. Texas wanted. Yeah, yes, and there's there's been a bunch of players that come from there, and apparently Oklahoma has struggled getting guys out of Alito. So I don't know if that's a prior relationship that Joe John had or how exactly he landed that, but that's a big deal. Definitely. You definitely want to create that pipeline. It's a really successful program. Okay, I did want to touch on this, Ted. Nick Benito is getting a lot of love. Now, I... We hadn't brought this up, and it's been out there for a couple weeks, but it just keeps showing up on my timeline on Twitter over (laughs) and over and over again. But he's getting a lot of love from Pro Football Focus and you know the college PFF stuff that they do now. I I know we both feel a certain way about PFF. uh, Good things, bad things. Uh, It's kind of a combination of both, but damn, do they love Nick Benito. They have him... (laughs) They have him rated as the top returning defensive lineman, not in the Big 12, in all of college football. They have him as the top returning defensive lineman in all of college football, ahead of guys like Kayvon Thibodeau, the stud from Oregon, uh, ahead of a guy like DeMarvin Leal from A&M, who is an absolute like 290-pound monster. But they say Benito's got better ratings win rate all this stuff that they track and they say he may may be the most underrated player in all of college football i think there's some truth to him being underrated but 
the best defensive lineman returning in college football, Nick Benito? So I, I hate this position that I'm put in here because I love Nick Benito. I think I he's think great, he's, but the yeah. best defensive lineman returning, like he's not better than Kevon Thibodeau, is he? Here's the thing. I, I mean, think they're completely different. think PFF has it wrong. He's not the most underrated college football player. He's the most overrated PFF guy. I mean, here's the thing. They, when the season ended, they had Nick Benito as the number one pass rusher in all of college football. The number one pass rusher in all of college football. Now, here's, here's the only way to look at this. If Nick Benito was the number one pass rusher in all of college football, he would be a top 10 pick. Correct. It's top 10 pick. He'd be gone to the NFL. Okay. But he's not, he's coming back. And I'm not saying that Nick Benito wouldn't have got drafted. I think he probably would have got drafted and he may have, de- may have even had a, a, a decent draft grade, but he's not the best defensive lineman in college football. He's not the best pass rusher in college football. Now, there's a difference between uh, being a productive football player and being the best pass rusher. The best pass rusher means you're beating guys one-on-one. You're beating double teams. You're splitting doubles. You've got uh, a great speed rush. You've got a great counter. You've got all the different moves, and you know how to use them. That's why, again, I don't want to sound like I'm slamming Nick Benito because I think he's he's made – huge leaps um, the previous year, 2019, then last season. And I think he's poised to have another great year in 2021. And who knows where he's going to be by the end of that year. But we've talked about this. Nick Benito gets a lot of his production from stunt games where he, he, for lack of a better term, falls into the sack whenever the quarterback is escaping other pressure. Um that that's not a knock on Nick Benito. It's just that you have to, I think, look at it with a little bit more of a, of a microscope whenever you're, you're rating some of these guys and you don't just rate them off of um, a clear path to the quarterback. Yeah. Which credit to Grinch in this defense, because the way we run our front, it gives these guys a lot of clear paths to the quarterback and you just got to be careful taking that as a win in a pass rush. And uh, like you said, this is no disrespect to Nick Benito. I just, I saw it and I was like, wait, really? Because I've watched quite a bit of DeMarvin Leal from AM. That dude is an absolute monster. He's going to be a first round pick. I mean, put his hand down, run through a guy. He's got all the moves. Like you look at Thibodeau there from Oregon, like, these guys look like NFL defensive ends, right? And, and then you've got Benito, who, let's be real, wasn't even the best pass rusher on his team. They had him rated higher than Ronnie Perkins. Which yeah, that doesn't that make that, sense. Anyone that has watched any amount of Oklahoma knows that whenever you compare those two guys, like, and I'm not talking about the number. I don't care about the numbers. I'm talking about how someone is affecting the game. Ronnie Perk, it's not even, it's, you know, he's a different level. It's like you look at Aaron Donald and 
you know, some of the stuff that he does, I don't know what his numbers say as far as defensive line play. He may not have had the most productive defensive line year in the NFL, but whenever you look at the film, it ain't even close. I mean, there's, there's not even another comparison. You just got to be careful with that stuff. But, hey, great for Nick Benito. I, I hope what this does is gets more eyes on him to where, you know, he, he draws. Because one of the things about Oklahoma and some, like, defensive awards and notoriety and the way people look at them is the fact that last year a lot of guys started off with not having any attention nationally, and it's hard to work yourself into the, some of those conversations uh, from, you know, from the back of the pack. But now when you have guys that are getting some accolades preseason, it helps you get some of those national uh, recognition awards. Yeah. That's, that's why I view this as a real positive. And I I know that we kind of went through it there, but number one, I hope this gives Nick Benito all the confidence in the world, right. In, In the off season through spring ball, like this type of stuff, when, when you're reading positive things about yourself, it can affect you one way or the other. But a lot of guys, I mean, it makes you want to work harder. It's motivating, right? Mm-hmm. And you mentioned maybe maybe he'll take a big leap. Maybe he does look like Ronnie Perkins out there next year from an effort and production standpoint. But you're right, Ted. When it when it comes to being in the running for something like he let's he's an outside linebacker, he'd be more involved probably for a butt kiss award than anything right well stuff like this while some people are like okay it's pff whatever it, it does matter to some people and having that type of reputation going into the season can it, it can put you on a lot of watch lists and being on those watch lists and especially being a well-known guy on the watch list can get you in the door for those you know when it comes to being a finalist and things like that and that's great for ou Right. If you have, especially on the defensive side, right? Yeah. It's just like we talk about when it comes to having first round picks, like the possibility of Ronnie Perkins going in the first round. If they can have guys that are in the conversation at the end of the season for national awards on the defensive side of the ball, that's huge. Yep. So let's go, Nick Benito. Let's go, PFF. I'm with you, baby. Keep pumping it. I'm all for it. I love it. Um, but don't be surprised if he's not the number one uh, defensive lineman or edge player or whatever taken in the draft next year. Um, Cause I mean, they're pumping it that way, but you know, that's another thing is if you think that NFL people don't pay attention to this type of stuff, their scouting departments always looking for guys. And if something comes across from PFF, they say, Hey, we may need to take a look at this Benito guy. I don't know that we've got him on our list and they probably do, but the more attention, the better. Exactly. All publicity is good publicity. Okay, let's move on to Call Your Shot. And our Call Your Shot was inspired by something I saw on ESPN. So an ESPN article was out there asking, what was the biggest offseason question for each team? And they went through all the teams in their way too early top 25. And the one that they had for OU was so dumb to me. It was, can they win a college football playoff game? It's like, what what does it have to do with the offseason? What, what that doesn't make sense. So I I I threw the question out there, Ted. What is the biggest concern of the offseason for OU football? And we got a ton of responses. And I wanted to go through a couple of them, but there's only one we can start with. 
And that comes from Morton LB 53 on Twitter, who says biggest concern to the off season that someone more important than a holder will get beat up at Logie's. <laughs> I assume Teddy, you have seen the video that I saw. Yes. Um, Yes. Unfortunately, yes, I have seen the video. And I will say, I agree with the the comment. That's always a worry. For the coaching staff, don't you know, like every weekend, not just the offseason, during the regular season, there's got to be a, like, where are all your kids right now type of feeling. You know what I'm saying? And hopefully, hopefully not fighting wrestlers. Why would you ever fight a wrestler in the bathroom of a bar. You well, befriend the wrestlers. You don't fight the wrestlers. I went out of my way, Teddy, to be kind to wrestlers. We weren't best friends or anything, but they knew that I liked them. I knew they liked me. I was cordial with them every time I ran into them in public. It was strategic on my end because I knew if something went down, I wanted those cauliflower-eared crazy dudes on my side. Yes. I, it was a point of emphasis. Listen, this is not the first football player that has learned uh, the hard way not to mess with wrestlers, okay? Um, there should be, in every locker room in the country, there should be a posted roster of all the local collegiate wrestling rosters, okay? You should be you should have to memorize them. It's part of your your training as a football player. Memorize the wrestlers. These guys are to be befriended, not to be trifled with. I know the guy looks small. Sure. It looks like there's no way this could That's be what he a wants fight. you to think. Wrong. You are wrong, my friend. Oh, I hated that. Brutal. Oh. And, you know, the worst thing about the whole thing is, you know, you're not going to win all of them, okay? We all know that. But the you don't want it thrown out all over the interwebs. That's the biggest problem. Mm. Yeah. And Insult that was, uh, to injury. It's a pretty dominant performance by that little wrestler. <laughs> I was pretty damn impressed. I'm, but... I, I, I was I was about to watch it and I was like, this is gonna go exactly how I think it's gonna go, isn't it? And it did. Like all of a sudden he's on top of him full mountain. You're just like, well, then it's over. Oh. I was like, okay, and here comes the rear naked choke. Yep, there's yep. the rear and, naked choke. And and now he's passing out. Okay. Don't all give right. him your back. <laughs> <laughs> Poor kid. Oh man. Okay, let's let's move on to a couple of the serious ones. Uh, this one comes from Really, Ian Hughes, who says his biggest concern is defensive back play. Outside of starting safeties, we are very young, so that is something I am slightly concerned about. Hmm. I understand that. Um, We've had concerns. I I think one of the things is, over the years, we've had um, unknowns in the secondary So whenever the offseason rolled around and we didn't have solidified starters at some of the spots, there was cause for concern. I may be least concerned about the secondary than any of the other positions defensively, and I'm not even worried about any of the other uh, positions defensively. We have a chance in the secondary to be outstanding. And the one name, I'm telling you, Justin Harrington, I cannot wait to see this kid play. 
and I think they're going to play him at corner. We are going to go from having the smallest corners in the Big 12 to probably having the biggest corner in all of college football. He's probably going to be right at 6'3", 215-plus pounds playing corner. That is what you Hell want to see. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. And he's yeah. a freak athlete. So I'm like, I'm excited as all get out about that. You know, safety, I think the safety position is interesting. We got Pat Fields and we got Turner Yale. So at the bare minimum, we've got three-year starters returning at the safety position. And you want uh, experience at safety. It's called safety for, for a reason. It's the last line of defense. You can't mess up there. You can't miss tackles. You can't mess up um, any of the coverages. you got to be great communicating, good in rotations. So I think we're going to be really good at safety. There's going to be good competition there with the Key Lawrence kid from Tennessee, some of the freshmen coming in, uh, the Mukes kid out of Choctaw. We're going to be huge at safety too. So, I, I mean, I'm not worried about secondary at all. It's going to be ultra competitive, and we're, like always, we're probably going to rotate six, eight guys through there. Yeah, and you think about corner, you got Jaden Davis, you got DJ Graham, you got Woody Washington, you got all McCutcheon the freshmen. Kid. The McCutcheon kid who's on campus now. Yeah, I I get that maybe some of these kids are young, but they, they seem awfully talented. So yeah. It'll be interesting. I, I mean, uh, I understand though, like it we haven't we haven't get, got acclimated to you know it's usually like the offseason we, we see Young guys come in at corner, play well early, fade late, and are never to be seen from again. And I don't think that's going to be the case anymore. I think that we, we've got a good, steady pipeline of guys that are athletic and have really good coaching. Now, at Monte Cisco, one's biggest concern is the depth at the running back position. It says adding Gray was a plus, but I want to see Seth and Major take big steps in their development. I think our man Monty's forgetting about Kennedy Brooks. Yeah, that's Do you true. think he just forgot? Maybe. I think a lot, of, and rightfully so. Which, I, I mean, that's fair. I mean, the, the, the guy <laughs> did disappear for an entire season. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm not worried about running back depth. Maybe I should be, but I feel like, I feel like McGowan's going to take a huge step forward over yep. this offseason. And I think the Greg kid can go now. Yeah. I think he can go. Um, okay, at Blue Blood OU's biggest concern is O-line play needs to make a big jump, take it to another level. And and that is my biggest concern of the offseason for OU. Now, obviously, my biggest conceason, my biggest that that wasn't English. Biggest my biggest conceason, con- <laughs> my biggest concern of every offseason. Did I combine like five words and try to put it into one? What the hell was that? <laughs> Um, it's staying in, but that's my biggest concern of every off season is what's going to happen with the offensive line. And they didn't play particularly well last year. You, you lose Creed Humphrey, you lose Adrian Ely, and you've got to plug those holes. Now I think they got the guys to do it right. I'm expecting Wanya Morris to be able to start right away. Kid's got the talent. He's got the ability, just needs to understand the system and buy into what Bill Beanbow is teaching from a technique standpoint. I think Chris Murray or Rame there at center. I think both guys, I think the transfer from Arizona, if he 
can factor in and push whoever. Hell, if he outplays everyone at center, play him. Don't care. But they've got two guards that have played a lot of football. Rain will challenge both of them for those spots. Right tackle, you would assume that Anton Harrison's going to move there. But I, I think that they're going to have a really talented group that hasn't played a lot of football together. And the important part is spring ball, right? At all indications point that OU is going to start spring practice late March and spring ball is going to go off the way it normally goes off. And getting those reps for that group is so important, Teddy. So, so my biggest concern is that spring practice happens as usual so that the O-line can get those reps and start to gel and start to find that best five. That, that's my big concern because they got all the guys around those dudes. And we've seen team after team after team suck because they don't have good O-lines, especially we've seen it a lot in the Big 12. OU's not going to be that way. They, they got guys, but that process of working together and learning each other's, you know, the, the unspoken communication that it takes, you know, the amount of reps that it takes to develop that relationship to the guys to your right and left. Like it takes time and it takes reps. That's my biggest concern that they get those reps. I feel like there's a disturbance in the force. Like somehow we've flipped into an alternate reality. When is the last time? we were more worried about offensive line than we were secondary is that has to go back quite some time, but I agree with everything that you're saying a um, little bit more uncertainty. Now I, I think we've talked about this before, but offensive line across the country seemed to be down last year. Right. What do you think just from getting back to a somewhat, at least what we think now a normal off-season, normal schedule, is that going to help just the continuity at offensive line? Absolutely. I mean, I think it's I, – I can't stress how much better I got during spring ball. Not only when I moved the offensive line, right, when I was moving positions, but but after my first year of starting as redshirt freshman and then going into my redshirt sophomore year, that spring ball, like I got so much better and – it's about building your confidence, right? Building your confidence in spring ball. You can try some different things, right? You can, you can tinker with some things from a technique standpoint, but more importantly, like you, you are just working with the same guys over and over and over. And it's like anything, right? When you spend more time together doing something, like you get better at it together. It's just, it's like the podcast. We sucked when we started, right, Ted? And now look at us. <laughs> We still no, suck. I agree. It, the it's it's hard to really articulate how in college football you go from just trying to keep your head above water to you know thriving and actually going to practice trying to get better instead of going to just try to not get screamed at. There's a there's a you know, there's a, a point in time where you get past that and that's whenever you start becoming a better football player and that always takes place in the spring. It's so much better when they're not yelling at you. When they <laughs> right. say good job, you're like, wait, what'd you say? What, what'd oh you say? I, I, th I thought my name was asshole for like two years. <laughs> okay. All right, let's move on to Shane Beamer and this is great. But first, 
Let's talk money. First Fidelity Bank is a full-service financial institution based in Oklahoma with tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs. Checking accounts, saving accounts, home loans, and much more. They do it all. Whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone, everything is stress-free with FFB. Making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts could not be easier. First Fidelity Bank also provides free ATMs worldwide, making banking convenient wherever you are. They also give back to the community. FFB donates a total of more than $500,000 to local charities and educational foundations. Make your life easier and go bank at First Fidelity Bank. Visit ffb.com for more information. And don't forget to go buy some rock and roll tequila. Rock and roll tequila is the ultra premium tequila that hits all the right notes. It's won all kinds of awards for its superior taste and smooth finish. To find a store that has it, visit rockandrolltequila.com or check their Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. This stuff is fantastic. If you don't want to take our word for it, maybe you'll listen to this guy. This is Coach Bob Stoops. When you're a college football coach, it's important to have an eye for talent. The same holds true when choosing your tequila. When I tried rock and roll, I liked it so much, I decided to become a partner in this Oklahoma-owned company. Crafted in the highlands of Jalisco, Mexico, the smooth taste of rock and roll's triple distilled platinum, our Añejo, called Cristalino, and the incredible premium quality mango tequila are awesome. Our defiantly unique guitar-shaped bottles make it easy to find, and you'll love the ultra-premium quality and taste. No excuses. Make rock and roll your game day tequila. Tastefully rebellious, start the party with rock and roll. It is our pleasure to be joined by the head coach of the South Carolina Gamecocks. And yeah, he was just at OU and everyone loves him. Shane Beamer is in the house. What's up, man? How we doing, guys? Great to be on with you. And thanks for having me. No, you picked the right time. Uh, we're in the deep freeze now, man. You're over on the coast. That's got to be nice. It is. I think the the bad weather this week, I'm looking out my window, has been like 45 and a little bit of rain is the worst we got this week. And Feel for uh, feel for the rest of the country. My my uh, my wife and my son actually came out this week to visit. They haven't moved yet, but my two daughters they didn't want to leave because they're like, we're never we're never going to see snow again <laughs> once we live in South Carolina. So they stayed in Oklahoma to to uh, to play. So they're there dealing with that weather, and, and uh, we're waiting for the weather to warm back up here a little bit too. Yeah, must uh, must be nice, but. I wanted to start uh, with some OU stuff, and, and then we can get to what you got going now, now there at South Carolina, Coach. And it, it's been a while, so I, I just wanted to kind of get a refresher. Like, Why did you come to the University of Oklahoma? Because you, you had a really good thing going there at an elite program in Georgia. I, I know it wasn't an easy decision for you, but why did you end up coming to Norman and joining Lincoln Riley's staff? Great question. Uh Lincoln Riley, uh, to be honest. I mean, it was just – I was at a point in my career where my family and I, we loved living in Athens, Georgia. I was coaching tight ends, and I was a special teams coordinator at Georgia and one of the you know best jobs in America coaching at one of the best programs. Weren't looking to leave at all or wasn't looking to leave at all. I just felt like from a career standpoint, I'd interviewed for some head coaching jobs at that point. And it always kind of came back, well, you haven't been an offensive coordinator. You haven't been a defensive coordinator. We were really impressed with you. And there was always that but. And I just felt like, you know what, from a career standpoint to 
be able to come to a different place out of our comfort zone a little bit personally and professionally. My wife and I, my wife's from Mississippi, but we had never lived west of Mississippi uh, to be able to get out of our comfort zone, get connected with the greatest offensive mind in all of football. I just felt like at that point in my career was something I needed to do uh, just thinking long-term. And so a lot of that obviously was Lincoln Riley, but just Oklahoma speaks for itself. I mean, be able to, I was at Georgia where we had just won an SEC championship and that was a big deal. And then I roll in Norman, it's like 50 or whatever, 51, 52, whatever it was, conference championships that had been won. And you drive past Heisman Trophy statues on the way to work each day. I mean, it's just an amazing place as you guys know. And and then uh, Joe Castiglione too, just to be totally honest. I mean, obviously as respected as he is uh, throughout college athletics, the opportunity to work with him and get to know him was really appealing to me uh, also. And came out there for football reasons primarily, but had an awesome three years. The friends we made within the athletic department, outside the athletic department, it was an amazing, amazing experience. And, Thankful that I did it. You know, one of the things, and this just isn't an Oklahoma thing for you. Uh, whenever you were up for the South Carolina job, I saw a bunch of uh, former players and guys that you know have been under your tutelage at different places coming out in support. But I think a lot of people forget that coaches and players develop really close relationships with as much time as you spend together. Um, you know, you're taking – you're taking these kids from their parents at 18 years old in a, in a critical time of their life and trying to develop them, not just as football players, but as men. And you develop some of those real tight bonds. How difficult is it whenever you've been around some kids for, uh, you know, an extended period and then all of a sudden a, a job comes open? People always think it's just as easy as you jump and you take the next job, but you're also leaving a bunch of relationships behind that you've developed over several years. No, great question. And you guys know it really, 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 really hard. Um, Leaving Georgia to come to Oklahoma. That was tough telling the tight ends that I coach. Cause you're right. I mean, you, you get to know them, they're in your home, they know your families Uh, and then coming to Oklahoma and, and, and and I coached a great group of guys in that tight end H back room, but then, as involved as I was with special teams, you've got relationships with everybody on the team. So that was really tough. I mean, I, I came to Columbia, the Oklahoma played Baylor Saturday night, Sunday, I came to Columbia, did the press conference Monday, went back to Norman Monday night because we were getting ready to play. I think it was West Virginia that week or we were supposed to. And that first Tuesday back in Norman was probably the, one of the hardest days I've ever had in my career. Just, I was drained emotionally and tired, but just the emotion of I just got hired as the head coach at South Carolina, but I'm back in Oklahoma with these people in that building that I care and love, care about and love and thinking about leaving them. I mean, I'll be honest, I was a wreck uh, just emotionally. And even that day we won the Big 12 championship. I mean, it's so many emotions (laughs) like you're excited because we just won the Big 12 uh, you're celebrating that, but then I'm sitting there crying on the field at AT&T Stadium because I don't want to leave these guys, and it's it's really tough, but I'm so thankful for those guys and the ones I've coached at different places. You alluded to the ones in South Carolina, but wherever I've been and just being able to keep in touch with them, and, you know, it's funny, my kids, they don't quite 
they don't quite understand how the transfer portal works. So they, they love like Braden Willis and Austin Stogner and Jeremiah Hall and Mikey Henderson. So my son's like, now are, are they all coming with us? And why not? <laughs> I tell them they can. I'm like, you know what? Lincoln's a good friend. I don't think if I take four of his top tight ends that he's going to uh, feel the same way about me. But, you know, that's just, they've been in my home so much and, and, and you develop those relationships with those guys for sure. That's funny. Now you, you mentioned Lincoln Riley and I'm sure you've taken a little bit from every coach you've worked under, right? And you've worked under some good ones, right? Your father, you know, Spurrier, Kirby Smart, and, and Lincoln Riley um, amongst many. I don't want you to divulge any secrets or anything like that, but what are some of the most significant things you think you learned working under Lincoln? Obviously the offensive part of it speaks for itself. Everything that I've you know, I remember when I was getting ready to take this job or thinking about taking this job, Oklahoma and Georgia had just played in the Rose Bowl. And I'll never forget talking to our defensive coordinator at Georgia at the time, Mel Tucker. He's the head coach of Michigan State now. And I'll, I still remember it was in Kirby's house. We had an official visit weekend going on and we had some recruits over there. And Mel and I were talking about this opportunity. And I remember him saying, he's like, bro, you need to go. He goes, we just played these guys in the Rose Bowl and what they're doing offensively is on the cutting edge of anything I've seen other teams doing. So to be able to get in there and just learn a different system, see how we do it, why we do it, things like that was great. And then just from a head coaching standpoint, it was it was really good for me. He's younger than than I am, younger than we are. Lincoln is. Uh, So he's a first time head coach. He's at a young age and just seeing like his poise and how he handled things all the time was great for me to see. And then just like his leadership style, you guys have been around different coaches and, and I've, I've worked for head coaches that it was, you know, you're going to respect me because you're, I'm going to make you fear me because I'm ripping you left and right. And, and there's, there's that fear factor. Whereas Lincoln, uh, you certainly respected him. He was demanding and he held people accountable, but he's such a good guy. He he made you want to work hard for him so you don't let him down. So just kind of seeing like different leadership style and and how he grew into that uh, chair as well, the head coach and role. And then this summer, just with everything that was going on this summer with COVID and social injustice and, and, and are we going to have a season or not? And just seeing his poise and leadership during that time was really great for me also. You know, everyone's always going to, you know, uh, for a good reason, connect you with Lincoln and the offense. But you also got to see Alex Grinch and his crew take a defense that had been, you know, pretty bad in recent years. Let's go ahead and say it and turn it into a group that's playing great football, has a ton of confidence. And there may be, I don't know, maybe more to learn there from watching someone take uh, something that wasn't good and turn it into something that's great. So did you see anything there that maybe you could pick up on? Yeah, great point. I think you nailed it. Just the confidence and the belief that, that Alex and that staff have instilled in the defense. And let's face it. I mean, playing against Oklahoma's offense every day in practice, isn't always easy for the 11 guys on defense. And, and just to be frank, I think sometimes, confidence can kind of become an issue when you're going against each other in practice all day and you've got Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield and Jalen Hurts and Spencer Rattler and all that talent on offense and you're competing against it on defense. I thought Alex did a great job of 
just coming in and being like, look, we ain't taking a backseat to, to anybody. We're not going to win in spite of our defense here. And just instilling that belief where when the defense took the field against the offense and practice at Oklahoma, you know, it got to the point where those 11 guys on defense, they expected to dominate the offense they were going against. And, and frankly, I don't think it, they had that mentality in 2018, my first year there. And, uh, and just Alex, you know, he's got a great way about motivating people. I mean, he, his, his like Friday night, speeches talks to the defense on Friday night. I mean, there's times where I can remember offensive players with their ears up against the door, just trying to listen to Alex because he's such a, does a great job of, of, uh, of motivating them. So that was probably the biggest thing from him is just seeing how he instilled that confidence and belief uh, in that entire defense. And the recruiting has obviously picked up and, and that helps being able to get guys in there that, that we've upgraded. They've upgraded the talent on defense and, and uh, sky's the limit for those guys. Okay, this may this may be a stupid question. Uh, I'm going to admit that before I ask it. But walk us through the process, right? South Carolina lets Muschamp go. The job is open. Like, do they send you a text message like, "Hey, you up?" Like, like how how does that process work? Does your agent contact you? Like, walk us through that because I'm really curious. Because honestly, I don't really know how it works. Yeah, no, it wasn't the uh, like the the sup sup text with the question mark <laughs> all that. <laughs> I wish it was that simple. Um, no, so there had been chatter during the season that you know there may be a change that was going to take place here. Um, so certainly there were some people that are influential here that I reached out to, you know, a little bit during the season, just if anything came open, obviously I'd certainly be interested, but you don't really know if it's going to go anywhere or not. Um, you know, they, they let him go on a Sunday talking about coach Muschamp and then they hired a search firm. And then that Monday, the, uh, the search firm, uh, called me, I guess it was about like Monday afternoon, Tuesday afternoon, the search firm, Chad Chatlos is his name. He's out of Atlanta, but Chad called me on Tuesday to say that, you know, I was uh, somebody that South Carolina was considering for this position, wanted to make sure I was interested. I said, yeah, I was. Uh, he told me straight up, he said, look, this is going to be an uphill battle for you. They're talking to some sitting head coaches and, and uh, you know, guys that have been power five head coaches, but you're certainly in the mix. And then uh, they scheduled a phone interview. It was myself and, and then Ray Tanner, our athletic director, and Chance Miller, who's our deputy AD. We did a phone interview, I guess, like 24 hours later, that very first week. Uh, and it was in the office, supposed to be, you know, very casual. So it was late. It was at night. So we had finished all of our meetings and everything in Oklahoma. And Lincoln was great throughout this process. I mean, it wasn't a distraction for us. And he was great giving me my time to interview and things like that. And we did a phone interview. So I'm thinking, man, this is the interview. And I've got like page after page of just notes like spread out across my desk in, uh, in Norman uh, of things to go over. But it was just very easy going and very casual. I had somewhat of a relationship with our athletic director. He was the baseball coach when I was here before as an assistant coach. So I knew him a little bit, but not well, but it was just, it was, it was very easy going and casual that conversation. We probably spent an hour and a half on the phone that night, just kind of talking. Uh, I remember getting off the phone call and I was walking to my car. I was at the stadium at, in, in Norman and I remember walking to my car and calling my wife and I'm like, look, I may be crazy, but I think I'm going to get this job. 
uh, it just, it, you just had a feel. And I've been on some interviews before where you're like, man, I got no chance at that. Or you're just not really sure, but it was just very easy going. And, and they said, we're going to, you know, we're going to keep talking to some guys and, and keep interviewing, but we certainly want to get face to face with you in person. And, um, uh, we were, they were actually scheduled believe it or not, we were going to meet in, uh, Morgantown when we were scheduled to play West Virginia the first time uh, they had talked to me about maybe flying up and meeting with me in the hotel that Friday night after we finished meetings and then that game got postponed uh, so the Friday after Thanksgiving this is like a week or two later so I mean it's a drawn out process so the longer it goes I'm like man I mean they're gonna forget this whole phone conversation that we had it was so long ago uh, but they would, uh, the search firm would touch base periodically. And then I interviewed the uh, Friday after Thanksgiving when that West Virginia game got postponed or can't, postponed the first time. Uh, I flew to Atlanta, met with them in a, at a hotel in Atlanta. We spent, I mean, it was thorough. It was like a five hour interview in a hotel room in Atlanta, just myself and the athletic director and the deputy AD. President wasn't able to make it. Uh, so that was, I met with him on Zoom and, Flew back to Norman that night, and then it was still another week after that interview. Um, they called me late that week to kind of say it was trending in the right direction. The athletic director did. And then I know he had a couple interviews scheduled like the weekend that Oklahoma played Baylor. And then late that night, the Saturday night that we played Baylor, late that night, right after the game ended, um, they called and it was the athletic director said, are you ready to do this? And I'm like, let's go. And that was next. And that was late Saturday night and Sunday morning by 9 a.m. There's a plane in Norman and I'm on that headed to Columbia. So it was certainly a whirlwind and draining and emotional. And it was a long process. It wasn't like one of those. No, I it sounded that. short, sweet, simple. <laughs> yeah, that was, it was it was stressful. Not to mention you're trying to get your coach trying to coach your own team and you're dealing with that as well. And you're hearing so many different rumors about who they're interviewing, who they're not interviewing, who they're interested in, you know, and, and so many different names out there. So it was a it's not one of those short and sweet job comes open and four days later you get hired. This was like three weeks of uh of just stuff but it was good and worked out the way it was supposed to in the end great question though i've always wondered like when during a, a head coaching interview obviously there's there's background stuff and you know there, there's there's all of that but what's the football talk is there in-depth talk about like offensive strategy philosophy defensive strategy philosophy is there a lot of that going on not really. And none of the uh, none of the one or none of the interviews I've been on have ever really been that way. Um, it was a lot of uh, in, in in the phone interview, it was more just kind of getting to know each other and talking in the in-person interview. I mean, it was thorough and it was a grind, but it was a little bit of X's and O's, but it's more like what's your offensive philosophy? How do you anticipate our defense playing? but not like X's and O's. Are you going to be an odd front? Are you going to be an even front? What's your run pass ratio? What personnel groupings are you going to be in? Not like that. I think they know, or hopefully they know, you know, football, if you've gotten to that point, I think it's more of them just evaluating me and other candidates as being the CEO and the face of the program. So the, the, the bulk of the second interview that we had was about staffing, uh, not just the 10 coaches, but, every person in the building and, and who I saw in roles and who I had in mind, uh, things like that. So a lot of staffing, a lot of, uh, 
a lot of, uh, you know, discipline, team building with everything going on in college football now. Talk about the transfer portal, name, image and likeness stuff. I mean, it's a lot. It got pretty in depth. And and that's what it typically is, uh, is your story, your background, coaches you may hire and overall philosophy. So you mentioned staffing. What's it like assembling your own staff? for the first time as you were coaching and moving up in the ranks, like were you keeping a short list in case like, you know, Hey, when I get the head job, these are the guys I'm going to call first. Is that how that works? And when you got the opportunity, what is it? Is it texts? Is it calls? Are you actually FaceTiming these guys? Like how's that work? Great question too. All the above. Uh, and that's one thing I sold during this process, just the coaches that I've, worked with and been around I've been around I've been blessed and fortunate enough to be around some great programs and some great coaches I mean when I was in a when I was a graduate assistant at Georgia Tech uh, our running backs coach was Bill O'Brien the former head coach of the Texans and then I went to Tennessee as a graduate assistant and our head coach or our tight ends coach was Doug Marone uh, the former head coach of the Jaguars so I've been around just a lot of guys like that not to mention the graduate assistants and analysts so you're certainly keeping things in mind. And, and when I had downtime and it didn't take away from the job that I had at Oklahoma, whether it be in the summertime, things like that, I would just kind of constantly update it. And certainly if, you know, if you're the, if Gay Eichert is the offensive line coach at Oklahoma and I get the, you know, a job in the Sunbelt Conference, you're realistically probably not coming as the offensive line coach. So I think right. you're always keeping in mind, okay, if, I already had the opportunity to get a job at a group of five program versus a power five program. Here's some guys I had in mind. And then each place is different. I mean, you got to think recruiting ties, existing staff. And it was certainly a challenge because uh, they were guys that were on the staff in this building that I had worked with before in the past that I didn't keep initially that I had to let friends go for just because it wasn't the right fit. And uh, so that part is certainly a challenge. And, and I think it's a little bit of everything. It was some, uh, calls and FaceTimes before I got the job that, look, I think this is going to happen. And if so, would you be interested? There were a lot of Zooms and FaceTimes and calls and, and texts after I got it. And it's constantly changing. I, I had a Power 5 head coach in the ACC tell me, he goes, the worst time of the year to be a head coach is December and January because you don't know what your staff's going to be like. People are getting hired and fired and people are trying to hire your coaches and other opportunities are coming along. And I mean, we had one coach that I kept, he got a raise after the fact and then still left for a you know job at, in, in the NFL. So, I mean, it's just, it's constantly changing. And the th I think the thing that's changed a lot is so many of these assistant coaches now have buyouts in their contracts. So it's not simply, I want to hire Teddy Lehman to be the linebackers coach and Teddy wants to come, well, Teddy may have a anywhere from a $100,000 buyout to a $900,000 buyout, depending on what his salary is, that now you got to negotiate that too. Are you willing to pay the buyout to get guys here? And that was a little bit of a challenge and because uh, that's changed a lot. And each school is different, you know, where it may be a $50,000 buyout for a defensive coordinator at this school. It may be a $900,000 buyout for a defensive coordinator at that school. And I felt like a financial planner for about a month, just trying to deal with figures and you've got a salary pool and you're trying to make the salaries fit uh, with what you've been given by the athletic department. So I'm, it was a learning experience and talked to a lot of people throughout the process. And, and, but I'm glad it's glad it's over knock on wood for another year. 
is there like a like whenever you you finally okay you got the job here we go is there like a panic moment like all of a sudden it's like i've got so much stuff to do i've got recruiting what if none of the guys that i want to hire are going to come i mean is is there like a just an overwhelming flood of stuff that that could happen or you know it's yes. just going to pile on I wish I could sit here and tell you that, nah, I mean, it was under control and it was just what I expected. Like <laughs> I went to the beach, played some golf. Yeah. I'm sitting at my desk right now in my office in Columbia. Like the first couple of weeks, there were about eight times a day where I wanted to crawl under my desk, call Lincoln back and be like, hey, have you hired anybody yet? Help. Help. <laughs> Help. Um, no, but it was because there's so much to do. Like I, the job, like the news breaks about me getting the job late Saturday night and by, you know, Sunday night when I get to Columbia and I get back to my hotel room, I mean, I've got like 700 text messages on my phone. I've got a staff I'm trying to hire. I've got a linebacker on the team who I've never even met has already called me to tell me he's declaring for the NFL draft. Um, You know, it's, you've got to call these players and make sure you connect with them first. There's recruits. There's like so much to do. And you're like, Oh my gosh, like I can't, where, where do I start? And I'm a morning person and I'm like a list guy. So I tell this story, like I'd always get to my office early because my family's not here. I'm living in a condo about a 200 yards from where I'm sitting. And I'd get it here early in the morning. I'd have like my to-do list for the day. And then I'd get to nine o'clock at night and I'd done nothing on the list because of everything <laughs> else that like comes across my desk. But Coach Stoops actually and Lincoln both. That's, they both gave me the same advice, and it was fantastic, was, look, there's so much to do. You can't do it all in one day. Just prioritize the things you got to get done initially, and then eventually you'll catch up and you'll get to where you need to be, and they were exactly right. But it's you're certainly swimming. Um, you know, I had a, a Dabo Sweeney actually called me, and he's like, all I can, the only advice I can give you is just get, like, some snorkeling gear because that's the only thing that's going to keep you from drowning in the uh, first month on the job. Just some gear that will help you breathe a little Thanks, bit. Thanks, Dabo. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> exactly. Quick break. Do you own a business? If you do, you need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers, They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective, comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses by working with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk. Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. Best-in-class businesses win by avoiding loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be too. If your business wants to be best in class, connect with Insurica at insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A.com. Tell them we sent you. And also, if you're a sports fan, you need to call the great people at Sound Advice. A lot of us are watching our favorite teams from home this year, which is why you need to get a home theater system from our friends at Sound Advice. Sound Advice can customize your home entertainment systems indoors or outdoors. Sound Advice did the Wi-Fi network and all the audio visual at my new house, and it is awesome. They hide all the wires and the cable boxes, so it looks great, and I can control every TV in my house from my phone. Oh, and my Wi-Fi has been 
flawless. For the best home theater systems in the Oklahoma City area, call Sound Advice at 405-549-3880 or visit soundadviceokc.com. All right, back to Shane. So that's really interesting because there, there, is, there are so many things, right, to get done. So what did you prioritize? Like, like you get there, was it contacting the recruits? Was it touching base with your current players, kind of evaluating those guys? Was it diving into the film of the guys you had coming back? Like, what did you prioritize in that process? Yeah, very little film because it kind of is what it is. Um, for me, it was the, the, the day that I got here. I got here on Sunday afternoon. The very first thing I did was meet with the entire team. And it was just me in there and the players, like no coaches, no anybody. And just them, you know, me introducing myself basically and what I'm about. Uh, then it was sitting down and meeting with every single coach in the building. And because they're all sitting there, do they have a job or not? So that first Sunday I met with the team. I met with every single coach in this building. And uh, I'm not going to, you're not in my plans. I'm going a different direction or you are, or, or I'm still working through some things. So having those conversations, uh, certainly there's some guys on your, on my team currently back in December that uh, were guys that, I don't know if it's on the fence is the word, but you're certainly worried about potentially going in the transfer portal that I wanted to get on the phone with them and their families originally. Um, the guys that were committed to us getting on the phone with them quickly. I did that though, within the first 24 hours um, and just talking to them. And then the other thing was just the guys that were committed. What I did watch video on them just so I kind of knew what we had committed because I wasn't going to drop guys and turn them loose and not a week before signing day. So I, I watched video on all those guys. And then it was kind of like, okay, we had a small signing class. There were only, I think nine, nine or 10 guys committed when I got the job, which meant we had, I think 11 scholarships left that we were going to be able to use in January, whether it be through transfers, high school recruiting, junior college, whatever it may be. So it was okay. Here's, Here's the guys that are committed to us and are about to sign, but let me get a general idea. I didn't watch video, but just kind of a general idea of what we have on the roster and what positions are major needs for us, because that will shape how we're attacking things going forward. Because at the time, I mean, I hadn't hired a complete staff. So it's basically me kind of figuring out what we need as a team, but that's tough a little bit because you don't know exactly who your def defensive coordinator is going to be and what positions he needs to run his system and things like that. So I, I certainly needed coordinators in all three phases that had some flexibility and multipli multiplicity in, in different schemes because of that also. So you, you said earlier that, you know, I don't know necessarily that you had in-depth interviews, but you had had some, some offers or some conversations at least about some other head coaching spots. So, so why South Carolina? Um, is it is it something about the university? Was it a timing thing for you to where, hey, if I'm going to do this, I need to go now? Why was it South Carolina the one that that you said, okay, yeah, this one is is one that I want? Yeah, I think you know, a Power Five head coaching opportunity in the SEC is is hard to turn down, but you got to be able to win. I didn't want to just go be a head coach to be a head coach. And then you can't win. And you're two years later, you're looking for work. It needed to be somewhere where you could be successful. And, and I certainly feel like this place can, I, I was born in Charleston, South Carolina. So a couple, an hour and a half down the road. Um, 
my wife and I, we lived here for four years when I first got into coaching. I worked for Coach Spurrier for four years, and we just lo- we loved living here. Um, two of our children were born here. This was the one place that Emily, my wife and I, we always talked about if we could ever come back here as the head coach, we'd love to just from a personal standpoint because we love living in Columbia. It's a great location. You got the mountains, you know, a couple hours to the west. You got the beach a couple hours to the east. You got Charlotte, North Carolina, an hour and 20 minutes up the road. You got Atlanta three hours to the west. So it's a great place to live. It's a great recruiting base. And we've shown that we can win here. Um, I was here in 2007, 8, 9, and 10, where we recruited and coached guys like Melvin Ingram and Jadavion Clowney and Alshon Jeffrey and DJ Swearinger and Stefan Gilmore and Ryan Suckup and Marcus Lattimore, Connor Shaw. I mean, you can go on and on and on. Jared Cook that's playing tight end for the Saints. Uh, so we, I knew you could win. Uh, the resources here now are even better than what they were when I was here before. We got a brand new facility that I'm in right now that's as good as anywhere in the country that's two years old. So it's uh, just been a fantastic place that we love being at before and and uh, have always thought we'd love to get back to. And and uh, that's it. Timing was perfect and, and uh, right time, right place. You mentioned that you're a very organized guy, a meticulous guy. Right. So I assume that you have sort of a blueprint of what you want this program to look like. So what, what is your vision of the program? When, when y'all take the field, what do you want people to see from South Carolina football? Yeah, I would hope that, you know, they'd walk around saying that's one of the most or that they'd walk out of that stadium saying that's one of the most physical, hardest playing teams we've seen, you know, and to me, you start with that playing the game the right way with just, we may not be the most talented, but we can certainly be the toughest, most physical, hardest playing. And and that's important to me. And, and then just an environment day in, day out that our players enjoy uh, coming into. And that's another thing I did when I first got the job as I sat down, I had individual meetings with every single player on the team. So right up around a hundred guys that I met with uh, three days in December and three days in January. Uh, And we just talked about, you know, their background, my background, but we also talked about the issues here. Like what did they see? What did they feel like needed to be different? And, And just listening to them, a lot of the same things kept coming up and, and a big part of what kept coming up. that's important to me is just the environment that's, it's a positive environment that they're walking into every day when they walk into this facility that they enjoy coming. It's a program where the players care about each other. The coaches care about the players and, and we've got a great, you know, uh, connection uh, relationships with each other. Like Teddy mentioned earlier, I mean, the relationships that I had as an assistant coach with the players on the team, I want to have that with every single player on the team as the head coach and want the assistants and everybody else in the building to have those relationships as well. And to me, if you got a connected team that, that cares about each other, you know, you got a chance to be uh, really successful in my opinion. You've obviously been around the game for gosh, your entire life, you know, at a level that most people, you know, you know, starting at a very early age, most people could never even, uh, you know, understand what that's like. So, to whenever you sat down as a head coach, you're probably more prepared for that than, than, than anyone else could ever be. But is there still stuff where it's like, I was not prepared for this. I didn't know that this was going to be part of the job or this big part of the job. Have, have any of those things stuck out to you? Like, gosh, I wish I, wish I would have known this before so I would have had a little more of a game plan. Yeah, uh, just it's just so much – 
that comes across your desk that's like non-football related. Like I've got my my computer right here next to me that I can actually like do like watch video on. I spent a couple hours yesterday just making like some cut ups and some videos for some meetings, and it was awesome being able to just do football stuff because like. I'll never forget, like, after the, the the day we won the Big 12 championship that Saturday in, in, in Texas, I flew to Columbia the very next day. And I get here, and the very first thing I have is a meeting with my athletic director and the deputy AD. And we spent three and a half hours in this meeting, just kind of, like, grinding through – not just not the coaching salaries, but like the support staff. Okay. Strength coach, assistant strength coach, the analyst, quality control guys, nutritionists, all these different salaries, just making sure we're all on the same page. I mean, I'm drained. And then I walk out of this meeting on a Sunday afternoon after three and a half hours and the equipment guys in my office, who's fantastic. Larry's his name, but Larry's in my office waiting to talk to me because he wants to know what color socks I want the players to wear in the first game next season. I'm like, <laughs> Dude, <laughs> down the road, Larry. <laughs> At this rate, I just hope I make it to the first game. Much less what kind of socks we're going to Just win. make sure we have socks. That's all I care <laughs> yeah, about. Exactly. So it's just a lot of things like that. You know, what color shirts do you want them to wear in the weight room for workouts next week? Do you want black shorts or gray shorts? Do you want a garnet shirt? Uh, and, and it's just, you knew you were going to make those decisions, but it's one of those, it's just, you, you know it, but until you realize that, like, you're not giving suggestions anymore, you're making the decisions on everything that goes on in this building uh, is my decision right now. And obviously, I've got a great group of people around me that I rely on a lot, but ultimately, I'm the final decision maker. So probably just stuff like that. Um, nothing else that was really surprising, I don't think, but uh, just the amount of things that, that come across your desk that you don't anticipate each day. So you, you mentioned that when the interview process was happening for South Carolina, that you were looking at things, you were seeing the rumors of who they were interviewing. So I assume since we all saw it, that you saw some of the criticisms that maybe you weren't qualified for the job because you hadn't been a coordinator. Some people saying he's only getting the interview because he's Frank Beamer's son, stuff like that. Have you had to work? against that type of narrative your entire career and is that is it motivating for you to kind of pre prove people wrong were you able to block out that noise like how did that all work growing up in the coaching ranks advancing as frank beamer's son yeah no awesome question um i've always had a chip on my shoulder and and i don't ever want to lose that and i go back to when i was in uh high school and I was the left fielder on the baseball team and people that probably thought the only reason I was the left fielder on the Blacksburg high school baseball team was because my dad was the head coach across town. Or uh, when I was, when I had some postseason awards as an individual in high school football, well, they probably think the only reason you were named all whatever is because your last name's Beamer. Uh, I've always, whether it was real or perceived, I've always had that. And certainly I heard that as a high school athlete growing up. Uh, certainly when I walked on and played football for my dad in college, I heard it. Well, the only reason he's playing is because his dad's the coach. Uh, but then it was important for me when I got into coaching. And this is no disrespect to any son of a coach that's ever only worked for his dad. I didn't want to do that. Like, I didn't want my dad just to hire me as a graduate assistant. And then I 
just wouldn't work for him. It was important for me. I wanted to get out on my own and make my own name. So I, I left and my very first job in coaching was at Georgia Tech as a graduate assistant. And I'm not dumb. Like I realized I got hired as a graduate assistant a lot because my dad had worked with the offensive coordinator at Georgia Tech previously in his career. And we had a relationship. The athletic director at Georgia Tech had had previously been the head coach, the athletic director at Virginia Tech, and his daughter and I were classmates. So that got my foot in the door. But then once you get your foot in the door, you guys know you better keep it there. Your last name's not going to keep it there. Uh, so it was important for me to just go out, make my own name. I was gone 11 years coaching different places before I went back and worked for my dad. But whether I've established credibility or not, I certainly still use that as motivation, chip on my shoulder. And, and I've always tried to work that way, that Every day I walk in this building, just telling myself, you know, there's people that think you don't deserve this job. And I'm a self-starter. I'm self-motivated. I don't need that to motivate me. But certainly it helps it, uh, to have that edge about myself, chip on my shoulder, whatever you want to call it. Everyone, every program has a, a, a different like level of success. Like success for this upcoming season for Oklahoma is probably going to be at a minimum making the college football playoff more likely playing in a championship. I mean, that's just kind of the level, you know, everyone's different. So what is, what, what would you consider a successful year, year one, and then year two, like kind of when you look down the road, what does success look like for South Carolina? Yeah. I mean, early on, I think, and I know it's cliche, but just getting better and just maximizing our ability as a team, whatever the best we can be at in 2021, let's do it. And however that looks wins and losses, I don't know. There's a lot that has to happen as a, for us as a program before we get into the season, but long-term, I mean, I think the sky's the limit. I don't, I don't, and maybe I'm naive, but I don't see anything here at South Carolina that we need to win at the highest level that we don't have. I mean, we've got a great city to live in. We've got a recruiting base. We've got a fantastic stadium across the street from where I am. It's sold out every single Saturday. Great academics. Uh, we've won here before. It's all right here in place. And, you know, we played for the SEC championship in 2010. We ran into Cam Newton and Auburn uh, in the SEC championship. But we, all, we beat Alabama when they were ranked number one and had Julio Jones and Trent Richardson and all these guys out there that we were going up against. So we've shown that it can be done. And, and obviously it's a battle in, in, in this league. But, you know, I like our chances of competing against anybody. And, and, I'm, and I believe in this place and, and uh, don't, don't have a ceiling on, on anything for us from a football program uh, here in the future. Yeah, a lot of people may not remember that your last two years at your first stint there in South Carolina, you were the recruiting coordinator. So it comes out that the dead period is going to get extended through May 31st. That's got to be brutal for you because you're, you're trying to showcase what you're about, what the program's about, what your staff that you've assembled is about. And it's, I mean, the virtual visits are great, but it's hard to really get that across to recruits when you can't see them in person, right? Yeah, it's really hard. I was talking to the dad of a recruit yesterday um, that his son's committed to, an, to another school, but the dad called me and he just said, look, we had a perception of South Carolina before you got here that was one way, but we're following everything that you guys are doing on social media and what we're hearing and we realize it's completely different and 
we're interested and definitely want to continue to explore it, but it's tough because we can't get there and see it in person. And, and it's certainly challenging because we've got a great, uh, whether I'm a new coach or not, I mean, it's a fantastic campus that we have. It's a beautiful campus, beautiful facility that we're in. And there's only, we try and showcase that and showcase that and highlight it as much as we can. There's only so much you can do on Zoom and, and it's different. We had our, my first SEC head coaches meeting last week. And uh, one of the other head coaches in the league brought this up that perception-wise nationally, well, it worked, the virtual recruiting and no visits, it worked fine last year, so it's the, it should be able to be the same this year. And that's not true. Like last year when everything got shut down in March, when everything went virtual from a recruiting standpoint, you were pretty far along with those guys that you were recruiting. They had been on your campus. You had been in their high schools. You had watched them play their most recent season. Well, it's totally different now because these guys that I'm recruiting, whether I'm a new coach or Oklahoma is recruiting, that's already established. They're recruiting people that unless they were in their high school when they were sophomores, they've never seen them in person. You know, we, we signed a guy in December that did not have a senior high school football season. He signed with us. He was in another state that didn't play football in the fall. He graduated. He enrolled here already. And he hasn't played football since his junior year of high school. So it's tough. It's a challenge. Obviously, uh, the pandemic and, and the health of everyone across the country is our priority. I'm not saying that, but from a we want what's best and want this thing to get behind us and want to do what's best to do our part to do it. But it is challenging uh, when you're a new staff and you want to get people in the building to get around everyone in this building and see the new staff and feel it. Uh, when you can't do that, it, it's it's uh, it's tough. How do you frame the recruiting aspect of it? Because, like, if you're at Oklahoma, you would say to a quarterback, like, you know, we did this with Baker, we did this with Kyler. You remind us of of what you know Kyler could do here. Like, whenever you're at a new place, do you still use like Oklahoma framework, or do you say you you um, remind us of Clowney, or do you use South Carolina players? How does that work? Yeah, no, that's a great question. A little bit of both, and there's a balance. Um, certainly play, uh, guys that we're recruiting, defensive backs are well aware of Stephon Gilmore and DJ Swearinger. So be able to, being able to say, hey, I was here with Stephon and DJ. I know what they were like, and you've got a lot of those traits. Certainly we sell that as much as we can. Alshon Jeffrey and a wide receivers and, and, and whatnot. Um, Debo Samuel, I wasn't here with, but – him and Hayden Hurst, the tight end, certainly you sell the guys that have come before here. And that's no different than any program. Um, but then absolutely when it's a new staff, you've got to talk about where you've been. And I'd be crazy if I'm recruiting an offensive player to not talk about being in the middle of Oklahoma's offense with Lincoln Riley for the last three seasons and how we used guys. I mean, we, we got a, we had a grad transfer that we signed from our not grad transfer, a transfer from Georgia tech, whose favorite NFL player was Marquise Hollywood Brown. So being able to say that I was at Oklahoma with Hollywood, um, you're similar to his size, here's how he practiced, being able to sell that, absolutely, I'd be crazy not to. And then offensively and defensively, both my coordinators, offensively, defensively, and special teams have been a coordinator at other places. The offensive coordinator came from the Panthers. Okay, well, the offense coordinator for the Panthers last year was Joe Brady. He was in this offense. So just think about the 2019 LSU offense and some of the things they did schematically, how we can utilize you in that offense and being able to combine it with what we did at Oklahoma. 
uh, certainly we sell that as much as we can. One last one, because I know you've got a busy day, Shane. Does it bother you at all that people who follow Oklahoma's probably most vivid memory of you is going to be you splitting your face open on Jeremiah Hall's <laughs> helmet? <laughs> I, uh, oh, man. I hope I did enough in three years that maybe they remember me for other things. But no, um, was it the best decision at the time? <laughs> no, I still have a scar right here. I on can my see forehead. it. <laughs> that I'll always, uh, I'll always be reminded of that every time I look myself in the mirror. Uh, but no, I think if they see that, hopefully they think of it. This guy's not some crazy wild man, but he is somebody that's passionate about coaching and loves his players. And come on, man. I mean, that was the first touchdown of the 2019 season, and uh, it was your player that scored it. So I was a little, a little uh, juiced up, that's for sure. So if did she use that if, on the recruiting trail? Just yeah. show the film and be like, look at this. This is your head yeah. coach right here. Look at yeah, that. Just, just imagine what I'm going to do as a head coach if you score. Yeah, that's true. Probably <laughs> need to, but no. But I've been. Uh, I can be remembered for worse things for sure. If that's all they remember me for. <laughs> I'll never forget it. It was so awesome. Yeah. All right, all right, Shane. Yeah. Hey, I still remember in the fourth quarter. I mean, I still got like blood on my on my face and it's on my nose and the game's out of hand and I'm just standing on the sidelines and I'm talking to Jalen Hurts and Jalen just kind of looks over at me and he goes, what the, I don't want to, I don't, this is G rated, but what the heck is, what the heck happened to you uh, as he sat there? So that was certainly not the way you wanted to bring in the 2019 season, but cool story to tell going forward. I love it. Hey, Shane, we wish you all the luck in the world, man, at South Carolina, We know you're the right man for the job. You're going to do great things. Got all the faith in the world in you. So congratulations, and we really appreciate you joining us. No, I appreciate you having me. It was a fantastic three years at Oklahoma, and I tell people all the time, one of the things that makes that place special is just the guys like you and the tradition at Oklahoma that you guys built and what you did and the expectations that the current team and coaches have to – uh, live up to what you guys said was a really, really cool part of being the job. I'm so thankful for the three years my family and I had there. That man's got a lot going on, a whole lot going on. Very busy. Not only does he have a lot going on with work, I, I even saw him at his kid's basketball game in Norman this weekend too. So he's getting it done on both sides, uh, still has time for the family. He's doing a great job, man. He's racking up those private jet miles, Love baby. It. Let's go, Shane. Hey, you got to negotiate that into the contract, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, I'm sure he's got plenty of hours. Okay, let's move on to our winners and losers of the week. End. But first, Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience. There are temperature screenings at all entrances and masks are required for all patrons and employees because your safety is Riverwind's number one priority. There are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful, award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games, including blackjack, blackjack match, roulette, and craps. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And for February's Kitchen Cash-In, all wildcard members that earn 500 points on their wildcard playing every machines will win an IKO Sapphire Diamond Roasting Pan. Those things are awesome. 
If you need help finding your way, just visit riverwind.com, Riverwind Casino, simply the one. And make sure you contact our friends at Advanced Weight Loss Clinic of Sand Springs to help you execute a realistic and achievable weight loss plan designed for you and only you. They've got all kinds of treatments for men and women. They're licensed and trained experts combine diet and exercise with hormone therapies to maximize your results. If you're struggling with low libido or low energy, Advanced Weight Loss Clinic of Sand Springs can help with that too. They also offer Botox and fillers. To get on the path to losing weight, call 918-241-LOSE or visit their Facebook page. If you mention the podcast, you will get a free fat burner injection. And Teddy, don't forget to send your kids to Bishop McGinnis Catholic <laughs> High School. Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School has a long tradition of educational excellence. They know that all children need to be in school and are doing everything possible to make that happen. Bishop McGinnis students were welcomed back last August and saw very few interruptions in 2020 with a 12 to 1 student to teacher ratio. No student is overlooked. Bishop McGinnis's college prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Financial aid is available. Okay, Ted, who did you? That's not, once again, the, the English. <laughs> I just went three ad reads with zero mistakes. And I can't say, I can't say, who do you have as your winner of the weekend? God, but I was, I thought I was on a roll, man. I thought I had it. Okay, who do you have as your winner of the weekend? Well, I had a bunch of choices. I thought about going uh, football guys talking golf and going with Max Homa in the uh, playoff or the uh, that extra shot. time win. That shot the, against the tree? Are you kidding incredible. me, Max Homa? Just close the uh, the club face all the way closed. But, you know, he did miss the, what, three-and-a-half-footer on 18 for the win. But um, he came back. I thought about going with that. I even thought about little uh, football guys talking NASCAR with, with the end of the Daytona road course, a guy making up like six seconds in the final three-and-a-half laps uh, to, to pass for the win. But I had to settle on football. And go with Baker. Uh, the rumor is, the word is out of Cleveland that they are definitely picking up his fifth-year option. Now, that's not a shock, but it has to be something that you know you just never know. And the fact that that's being reported now for Baker, be able to settle in, build on that good year that they had, let them go out and do some other things personnel-wise that they need to to tweak or or go after and settle in for another year. And, you know, because there's been uncertainty the last couple of years, like what are they going to do? There was even some time early this past season, uh, a couple games in where you didn't know what, what was going to happen there at the quarterback spot, but he solidified that they're picking up that fifth year option. That's got to feel good for Baker. Yeah. Especially, you know, didn't play well his second year, right? He'd be the first one to admit that and had some rough patches, Right. People were saying, when are they going to switch to Case Keenum? It's like, okay, everyone calm down. But yeah, that's got to be really exciting for him. That's, that's a big deal because there's a lot of first rounders who don't get that option picked up. And that feeling has to suck. Oh, I know because it's just waiting there. And I, I, I didn't look at the, the details of the contract, but I believe it's guaranteed once it's picked up, right? Or at least a big portion oh, yeah. of it is. And it's a big payday, yeah. too. I mean, yeah, it's a big, so big figure. When you get that call, that's got to feel great. There's, I mean, even though you feel like you're good, you went to the playoffs for the first time in a long time, but whenever you get that call, it has to be a, a huge burden lifted off your shoulders. I can only imagine.
I, I bet it feels exactly like going undrafted if I had to guess. <laughs> Wait, what? Okay. Who do you have as your loser of the weekend? This was tough because I I considered putting Deion Sanders as my winner of the weekend after the 53-0 uh, win that Jackson State had. But after the game, whenever he goes to the locker room, all of his stuff has been stolen out of the coaches' offices. His wallet, his cash, his phone, all of his valuables have been stolen from him while the man's out there winning his first game. And d- did you see like the update to the story? It's even weirder than did, someone that you... worked there, right? And the well, the someone saw them but didn't want to confront them. It's a weird story. Yeah, I guess it was like the his stuff was being stolen by a guy, and a staff member, like one of the assistants, walked in while the person was stealing his stuff and was like. Hey, I assume they're like, Hey, don't do that. <laughs> but, but the stuff has been returned. Yeah. If it's one of the more confusing things I've seen. Well, someone asked, I guess someone reported that it was miscommunication. He said, no, there wasn't miscommunication. It was stolen. We got the stuff back, but it was stolen. But I, I thought it was interesting though. Cause I've kind of been following Deion Sanders down there a little bit because whenever he first got the job, I, 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 I rolled my eyes at it, right? That Deion Sanders is going to go from no coaching to, to taking this job. But I really like his approach. And the way he even responded to this thing is like, we have got to change the culture around here. And I'm not just talking about with the players. I'm talking about from the ground up, absolutely everyone. That's what we're trying to do here. So I don't know. <laughs> Good job. He's recruiting. He's doing good things. 53 to zero in their opener. Hey, but you got to lock the office door, I guess. Got to lock that door, Dion. You got to <laughs> lock that door. The The only thing that sucks is like, I, I watched some of that game. This team played really well, but the only thing people are talking about is him getting his shit stolen. <laughs> like, that's it. Right. So and it's, it's been a lot of that going on. They had the whole boombox ordeal, which, you know, we could talk about why anyone has a boombox these days uh, for hours, but um, got his boombox stolen. I mean, he's had more stuff stolen since he's been head coach at Jackson State. I don't know. Crazy. Eh. All right. All right. My winner of the weekend, uh, I thought about going with the sun, not only because the sun came out and melted all the snow here, but did you see that NHL game? Right where they were playing outside in Lake Tahoe and it got delayed after the first period because the sun was cooking the ice. So I thought that was so funny. The avalanche and golden ice just like delayed eight hours after the first period. It was such a cool setting. That oh my gosh, it was beautiful. Beautiful. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's one of the things that we don't think about with hockey, but it's important that you have ice to play hockey. So I saw somebody from the NHL was like, yes, we realized that direct sunlight could be an issue. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> it was like unabashed sunlight or something. It was some term. I can't remember what he said, but it was hilarious. I also thought about going with OU fans, Teddy, simply because I, and I, and I know, I know you saw this, but Texas, they found their new director of player personnel to replace Brian Carrington. And if you recall, OU fans loved trolling Brian Carrington. 
And I, I can't imagine OU fans won't have fun going after Texas's new director of player personnel, Billy Glasscock. Excuse me? <laughs> he came from NC State. Now, I would like to point out that if this guy made it this far with this name and he's at this level, he's probably damn good at his job. I want to point that out. But <laughs> gosh, be mature, Gabe. You can do this. Billy Glasscock, new uh, director of player personnel for the Texas Longhorns. Um, I, really, I don't even have to say much. What do you think his Twitter handle is? <laughs> um, uh, I I don't want to say what I hope it is. Oh my gosh! Uh, I hope it's just at Glasscock. I hope that's all it is. Yeah, that's that's the best at Glasscock. Oh man, that's gonna be fun. That should be fun. Be a good one should be fun. But my winner of the weekend is Lon Kruger. Let's keep it simple and G rated. Uh, so going into the weekend, <laughs> stop laughing. Would you stop it? You, I was just I'm looking at you Lon's laughing. Last name was Glasscock. Long Glasscock. <laughs> it's still funny. Why is it so funny? Okay. <laughs> okay. Get it together. Okay. Long Kruger, winner of the weekend. He was one of 15 coaches named on the coach of the year watch list. Then. I'm sweating. I'm laughing so hard. <laughs> then on Saturday, Sooners go to Ames, and Lon Kruger gets his first win as OU's head coach in Ames, Iowa. Now, the game was probably a little more exciting than he was hoping for, especially when they got out to that big 21-point lead early. Iowa State makes that big run, but, yeah, it looked like maybe some Hilton magic was happening there, but OU ends up settling back in. And they eventually figured out Austin Reeves did his thing, ends up with 20 points. But I, I thought that that was a pretty dang good win for OU, circumstances uh, considered. And a nice weekend for Long Kruger. You think, hey, he was basically named, hey, you've done one of the best 15 coaching jobs in the country, is basically what he was told. And then go and get a win where he's never won before as OU's coach. Pretty solid weekend. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, this team is there. There was a time this, in in this season, early in this season, where you didn't know, like, no win was secured, no weekend where it was a game where you could just go in relaxed and feel like they were going to take care of business. You felt good about them, but it was like, oh boy, what happens if you know we get out rebounded or if we're not hitting shots? But you know they defend so well that it gives them a, a really good chance to win no matter where they are. That's that's where this team really excels, in my opinion. But, yeah, dude, I think they were picked like seventh or eighth in the conference this year, preseason. So to be where they are now, just a massive accomplishment. And I don't think they're done yet. I mean, who knows? I, I still think that we haven't seen them at their best yet. I, I, they have not peaked, and – that's what you want from a team. They are they're still ascending, and that's that's all you want. It's all you can ask for. Yeah, they'll get to snap another road losing streak on Tuesday night, probably. Oof, when, that's when they going go to, to Manhattan. be a beatdown. That team, be. 
is praying for the season to be over. It's like, yeah. let's be done with this. Not going well for Bruce Reber and his guys. Okay, my loser of the weekend. I thought about going with the people that were on that flight from Denver to Honolulu where the engine just exploded. I mean, did you see all those videos of stuff just from the plane just falling from the sky? Yeah, I mean. Absolute nightmare, dude. Nightmare scenario right there. Of the guy videoing out his window at that, like, just the engine just, like, barely holding on. It looked like something out of a movie. I can't even imagine it looked what like was something going on in that. It, the panic. They had to be panicking like crazy. I'm trying to decide if I would poop my pants or not in that scenario. I wouldn't be ashamed to. I know that. I guarantee you there were some there were some stained underwear on that flight. And I don't blame those people one bit. That would be scary as hell. No thanks. I'm out. No thank you. I don't want the, I don't want that ever. Ever. No. And I, I saw, you know, whenever I saw the video, I saw all of the, you know, the pilots chiming in like, actually, this isn't the worst thing that could happen. All planes are designed to be able to take off and land with just one engine and actually you could uh, as long as there's a uh, runway nearby you could land it with no engines i'm like that doesn't matter to a normal person sitting in the back of the plane it whenever exploded. they see one of the engine engines on fire uh, that just doesn't work i can't imagine what was going through all those people's head in there oh my that's gosh. crazy i'm oh. glad they got it down safely and i'm glad the shrapnel falling from the sky didn't cave in someone's house. Can you imagine walking outside, like hearing something and seeing a, a massive jet engine shroud around one of your trees in the front yard? It's crazy. Breaking bad style. <laughs> Gosh. Okay. But my loser of the weekend, it's gotta be the kid in that video with Cam Newton. Uh, it was all over Twitter this weekend. I was, so embarrassed for that young man, just absolute, absolutely acting a fool, calling Cam Newton ass, saying he was a free agent uh, for some likes on TikTok or whatever the hell those kids that age are using these days, but doing it at a camp that Cam Newton was putting on. I mean, that was the ultimate. Okay, I'll say this. That's the most old I've ever felt. It's the oldest I've ever felt watching a video where I was like, this kid, young people these days. I, I couldn't believe it. Cam Newton's a Heisman Trophy winner, rookie of the year in the NFL, NFL MVP, took a team to the Super Bowl. Is he good now? No, but it's because his body is broken from being an icon of the sport for the last decade. And I do mean that. He has been an icon of football for the last decade. Just think before you're like, no, he hasn't. How many times have you done the Superman celebration? I know I did. I caught a pass. I was, I was the extra lineman during OTAs in Cleveland. I caught a pass like six yard game. What did I do? Oh yeah. Superman. What's up? <laughs> like, it's just, it, he is, he's an incredibly accomplished player. And f I, I just couldn't believe it. Ted. I was like, man, this poor kid. And uh, there, the other video comes out of like where Cam Newton's actually talking to him, you know, trying to reason with him and, you know, really showing some maturity and like clearly cares about the young man, which is, I, I thought was really impressive, but 
boy, that was a, that was a tough watch. And that poor young man got drug on Twitter by essentially every pro football player that I follow on the platform. It was, I, I felt bad for him, but man, yikes. Well, that's what you get. I mean, I don't even understand how, how anyone would go about anything that way. I just, I can't, I can't get in that mindset. I don't understand that. Right? To be at someone's camp that they're putting on and act that way towards them. I just, I don't understand that. And maybe I am old. Maybe, maybe that's the way you. The you craziest, the craziest thing was now. people being like, oh, the kids just challenging. This is part of athletics. I was like, what, what are you talking about? No, this kid looks really like not. a moron. And here's the deal. I mean, yeah, Cam Newton is a free agent, but he's still better than uh, 7 billion people at quarterback. There's only about 20 guys on the planet that he's not better than, and maybe even less than that. So, I mean, he, he's still an unbelievable player. I, I just I, – I could never understand that. I would never do that. I could, I could never – I could never even watch that and laugh at that and think that that was funny. I, I don't know that we're old, Gabe, old, old men. I'm way older than you. And you can even, you're feeling it. You, I don't I, know. Man. I watched it three or four times and I was just like, you've got to be kidding me. Like who, who does this kid think he is? But I will say this, sign me up for being ass because I looked it up. Cam Newton, has made $122 million playing football. And that does not include all the endorsements because he was that dude. Don't forget right. it. He was that dude for about six or seven years. He has made a fortune playing football. So if being set for life at the age of 31 is ass, sign me up for being ass, please. That sounds great. Yeah, only thirty, so I got time. He's got a long life of uh, luxury and retirement ahead of him. Okay, so that's that's all. That's what everyone is striving for. So, yeah, that's crazy. I'll never understand that mindset. Once again, exhibit seven million of why social media is going to ruin the planet. <laughs> you love social media so much, <laughs> and on that old crotchety note, <laughs> episode eighty-eight in the books. We'll have a new podcast that'll drop Thursday morning. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from 2 to 6 on Sports Talk 1400. You can hear me from 3 to 5 on Sirius XM Big 12 Radio, Channel 375. Hope you all have a great week. Until next time, we appreciate y'all for listening. Do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other.
for just one more time.